expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are for you, nerds, episode 78 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where uh, I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wait, got nothing. Wait, this is the first time in a year and a half or so you have nothing for the intro. I, I got nothing. I oh. just, the mind was blank. And Martian Manhunter's not here to help. I've got nothing, man. It's the Alzheimer's that kicks in at age 36. Yeah, and I blame my son. I'm James Rivers <laughs> alongside. Sure, every, whenever something goes wrong, you blame the goddamn child. I'm the Mert with one-armed Nick Pataglia. Yeah, and you know, when you have children, you'll do the same thing. I know. <laughs> because that's, what, that's part of the reason what they're there for. Uh, but you blame him early when he has no recollection that he's being blamed for something. And again, that's one of the benefits. But, <laughs> no, we're, th- we're so glad you decided to join us this week. Of course, we've got another special uh, week for you, but I'm still laughing from last week. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Our interview with Donny Cates and Elliot Ray Hall, the paybacks last week. Oh, so I got to ask you a question, James. Have you boiled any water lately? I can't. I you just can't. can't. I can't even look at it, man, because... I'll just start laughing hysterically. You're like the like guy in Mallrats who just looks at the painting the entire film. Yeah, pretty it's much. Just, it's just you staring at a pot of water. Although I will say, I saw a conversion van the other day Yeah. on the road, and I was like, oh my god. And, then, <laughs> and that's another thing I just can't look at the same again, is a conversion van. Could oh, you just figure that somehow... In some in, in that conversion van, there's a copy of Hardball that's lodged in the DVD player of that van. What's funny too is that my aunt actually had a conversion van that we used to take road <laughs> trips in. I didn't even get a chance to tell that story. And what was funny is I think there were two VHS tapes in the entire van. One of them, and this is year round, mind you. One uh, of them was Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, <laughs> and the other one was Home Alone. <laughs> so, when you were done watching Ace Ventura, you had one option. <laughs> you could, so, <laughs> yeah, you could take, you could grab the wheel and just turn it, and you could flip the car if you wanted to. I'm just, all. I'm just saying that those are two very weird options. But uh, I, mean, I love the conversion van; it's fun. You know, the, the seat folded down too. If you want to take a nap, knock yourself <laughs> out, kind of thing. You know. <laughs> like yes, this is how, this is traveling done right. Oh my god, I'm just picturing a little league team getting stoned in the back of a van. Wow, if little league teams are getting stoned, that's uh, that's, that's poor parenting right there. Is what that is. <laughs> but it makes the orange slices taste even more better though. Oh, uh, orange slices and. Know, what like, would even go with that? It was like, I don't know, like, when I played basketball, we got, like, donuts and, like, Gatorade at the end. Or and we played- I know, and what kind of a combination is that? Think about so, that for a second. Yeah. I'm going to give you the electrolytes and the healthiness of Gatorade, but here's a donut. <laughs> I want you to have the athletic, the, I want you to stay hydrated. But I also want you to have diabetes. That is funny because when I played basketball, it was the same thing. It was always Gatorade and some sort of pastry. So that Come on, parents. That does not work. Although it's probably what, like a wheat husk in Gatorade now? 
Yeah, but then you got those kids now that can't have gluten, so it's just like, oh, shit, we just have rice cakes then. Man, you can't eat anything anymore. You can't eat know. anything, you can't watch anything on TV, you can't say anything, all you can do is listen to the Down and Nerdy podcast. <laughs> yeah, we have, actually have a great show, so we have a main topic for it that you're going to just love. But, you know, we had a big you know turnout last week, as we always do. Again, thank you for everybody who goes to our website, downnerdypodcast.com, uh, the people who go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. Even on Twitter, we had a huge... Twitter surge, James. Yes, we did. We just we, that was a huge spike. So we thank you for going to at down and nerdy seven five seven and following us on Twitter. If you haven't already, make sure you go do that. But coming up next, you know we've got two new comics. We're going to be reviewing for you. It's right here on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book writer Elliot Rayhall and Donna Kate, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We get out those long boxes. We discuss what we're reading this week. Of course, this segment brought to you always. By the fine folks at over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Arago Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for your nerd heart and nerds that you love as well. So, James, I have you go first this week because I went first last week, I believe. All righty. Well, I decided to go Marvel for the first time in a while. And hell has just frozen over. Yeah, but it should be no surprise because it's Star Wars Shattered Empire Part 1, which, of course, we know is the lead-up to The Force Awakens. We'll have some Force Awakens news coming up in Nerd News a little bit later on. It was also our pick of the week this week as well. Absolutely. And basically, it's uh, written by Mike, um, excuse me, Greg Ruka, and it's also art by Marco Cicchetto. Ooh, look at you with the yeah. fancy names. Colors by Andres Mosa, cover by Phil Noto, which was fantastic. But this here's the one that's going to trip me up. Ready? Yeah. Letters by Joe Caramenga. Oh, wow. You didn't have to breathe. You didn't have to enunciate, you know, Use it phonetically or anything. I am proud of myself this week. You should. Those 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 <laughs> remedial reading classes really are working for yes, you. Yes, they did. I got hooked on phonics, and it really does work for me. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> so basically, this picks up pretty much where you'd expect it to pick up. It's like the final moments of the Battle of Endor from the end of Return of the Jedi. Okay. The first thing that struck me when I flipped to the first page, which is a big two-page layout, it was, it was a huge Ewok orgy, wasn't it? No, thank God that it was not. Because that would have been incredibly disturbing. Um, no, the art... He said, he said tweaking his nipples. The, the art in this book is fantastic. I mean, it's... The detail, even... I mean, even down to the glow on their faces... Oh, yeah. ...from the blasts that are all around them in the ships, it's absolutely incredible. So I gotta tell you, man... Hats off to Marco Cicchetto, because, wow, way to kick it up a notch. Especially, you know, we talked about the art in the main Star Wars run maybe struggling a little bit. Not here. I mean, they're basically the first few pages are just this huge battle in space between the Empire and the Rebellion, because this is what's going on in space while they're all down there on Endor fighting that battle. And of course, one of the first panels is the final battle between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader as well. Right. One of the funny parts of this book is how when you know when Luke Skywalker escapes in the ship at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. He almost gets shot down by one of the lieutenants in the rebellion. Oh wow. We find that out in this book. So, I thought that that was very interesting, but actually uh Lieutenant Bay who is the one that almost shot it down, she is one of the central figures in this book and her husband was part of another squadron as well uh-huh. so there's a little bit of a problem there where she's trying to find him after the whole battle is over and everybody's going to celebrate 
on Endor, but the celebration doesn't last very long because there's a little something that pops up and Han Solo lets everybody know that they can't celebrate for long because they got to go take care of a little business. And that's kind of where things end a little bit. I don't want to give away too much because, of course, we want you to go get this book and and read it for yourself. So we don't want to give away too much. But the story very much drives and picks up where Return of the Jedi left off. So I think that that's good. I'm wondering if this lieutenant and her husband, who's a sergeant, by the way. Mm. So, you know. He's uh, go ahead and marry. He went ahead and married up in the rebellion there. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to be central figures going forward in maybe the beginning of the Force Awakens, or if they're just kind of characters that are going to be uh, going on in this book. I I don't know. This is kind of something that's that's interesting to me. Is that it's kind of a a warning. I want to say to Marvel and just people who are you know reading this. Um, you know, as we all know, Force Awakens comes out December 18th here in the U.S. And the thing is. And we've seen this with a lot of prequel books, is that once the project comes out, for example, like Mortal Kombat or you know Batman Arkham Knight, the comics keep on going, and thus you know everything going on in the game or in the movie, and it kind of ruins the series for you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think this is going to be a limited series. Okay, I'm pretty sure this is going to be limited, and it'll lead us up to. The Force Awakens, and then, you know, it'll go bye-bye kind of thing. Although, I mean, if it's a successful series, I mean, business is business. They'll probably continue it and just use it as a tool to fill the gaps of stuff that you're not seeing on The Force Awakens. Like, well, while you were here in the comic, we'll tell you what was going on over here kind of thing. Almost like a tie-in for a main arc kind of thing. I think that they might do that if they decide to continue it. An interesting book I would... would, if Marvel doesn't do this, I think that they lost on a big opportunity because of the big success of the Darth Vader comic. I'd love to see a Kilo Run comic. I think, well, you never know. They might actually do that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, after, I mean, I think the whole all new, all different thing, they're going to launch that in, I believe, October was when the first issue is going to come out, or maybe late September. Yeah. And then, don't forget, we're going to get into December when The Force Awakens comes out. So maybe January, February, we see a Kilo Ren comic. I think that would be great. I think it's a good idea. By the way, going back to Endor for a second, part of me wants to believe that they have like their own little Smokey the Bear on Endor because it's all forest and stuff like well, that. Well, they sure as hell had a lot of forest fires while that battle was going on, so that well, wouldn't I mean, surprise that's, me one bit. How, can you imagine that? Like, the whole f- fires on Endor happened because all the wars, all of a sudden Smokey the Bear comes out at the end, and it's like he's been assigned to you know to the, Endor and shit. The only problem is the Ewoks see him, and he's like taller than Chewbacca, so they start to freak <laughs> out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he's the freak of the Ewok group that nobody wants to play with? <laughs> he's like the buddy of the elf amongst all the little elves. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly what it is. But, <laughs> I mean, as far as my rating goes for this book, it, it's it's definitely a pull for me because the art's fantastic. The story drives itself well by Ruka. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was it was a great read, whether it's tied to the movie or not. And, and we'll see going forward how much it's actually going to be tied to the movie. But, Nick, you decided to take a little bit of a different route this week. Yeah, towards the route of apocalyptic futures and Guzzoline and War Boys and Valhalla. Yeah, I pretty much broke the gates of Valhalla down this week. I decided, of course, to review Mad Max Fury Road Furiosa, number one. Now, if you remember a while back, I did the Nux and Morton Joe, number one, that they, yep. it was by Vertigo, that they did a little bit a couple months ago. And even though it says Furiosa number one, this is a connecting story. 
to the entire Mad Max. And I, actually, I also have the the Max story as well, the Mad Max Fury Road Max. Um, I have that as well. I'm going to dive into that after in a little bit, probably later today after we're done recording. Um, but it's all connected. And like I said, we had the whole story of Martin Joe and Knox and how like Martin Joe had his rise. Well, this uh, centers around Charlie Theron's character, Imperator Furiosa, of course. And this takes place in the beginning of the of the, of the movie, right before. If you've seen the movie, you know that Furiosa pretty much takes the five wives of Immortan Joe and pretty much tries to free them, take them to the land of like, the many mothers and stuff. And, of course, the story is done by George Miller, the script done by uh, Nico Lothoris and Mark Sexton. Of course, this is the same group that did the Immortan Joe comic, and also they did the Mad Max comic as well. Which is good. There's continuity there, so that exactly. means that the story is going to be driven a little bit better. That's always good. The only difference, of course, is the artist. Now, the thing is, even though the artists are different, they broke up the same way. Remember when I did the Immortan Joe comic? I said, okay, this person had like pages one through six. This person had yeah. page 20. Same thing here. The artist done by Mark Sexton, he did pages one and 40. Uh, Tristan Jones did pages two through 13. Also did 22 through 39. Uh, Zyman Kurdansky, he did pages 14 through 21. And Michael Spicer did the colors. And even though it's different artists, the art looks damn near the same as it's, you know, People, when you open it, so I say, well, it's not eye pop or anything else. Well, no, but remember what I said in the first one? It's about capturing that post-apocalyptic feel, right. about that dirty look, and that's what this art is. It's really great. And that's kind of what you want for that kind of a setting anyway. You don't want this clean, pristine-looking art because I don't think it matches the story at all. No, not at all. And the thing is, with this, uh, of course, it was released in August. And as I said, it's connecting. So, of course, it starts off again with a man who pretty much, you know, has all this literature and history tattooed onto his body uh, because, you know, they destroyed all the books and everything else before the whole apocalyptic thing happened and stuff like that. And so he's telling us all his story. And again, it's the whole story of Furiosa being assigned, actually, to protect the wise at first from people who are coming in, predominantly Rictus, who is Morton Joe's son. And pretty much her thing is, Morton Joe put her there to protect the wives because he, you know, Morton Joe is all about keeping the bloodlines and wanting to have an offspring and everything else and make them be warlords and, and stuff like that. Well, remember, he doesn't want anybody probably dirtying that kind of thing. And it's actually kind of a hard read because it's just, I mean, it's, I mean, what you're reading is pretty much reading bottom line rape. I mean, you know... It, yeah, it, that's always tough. I mean, It's there, really tough. There's always some serious situations, there's been some serious situations in books that we've read before, but I mean, that's the kind of thing that just, just makes you uncomfortable, you know? But that doesn't mean it's not... It's, no, like, it's, like, the, it's like the killing joke. It, it's, it makes you uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean it's not good storytelling, you know? Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know, Immortan Joe kind of gets what he deserves. But here's the thing, though. And this, like I said, it was tough to read, but it's one of those things where it's like it, it needed to be in there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, this guy, here's a guy who pretty much takes these women as prisoners and sex slaves and he, cause, and he wants to populate and have healthy, you know, babies and stuff like that. And that's why he has them because they're, they don't have any of the pustules or the cancer st- looking stuff. They're right. normal. And again, it, the, the storytelling and Furious's character, I mean, it's really strong. It adds to the st- strength of her character. I, I, I mean, this is a definite pull for me. The whole series has been great so far. The writing has been great. The art has a really good post-apocalyptic feel to it. And like I said, it's pretty much that whole how Furiosa got them into 
the you know the 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 tanker truck and set them off and, and tried to save them and send them to uh, the land of many mothers and, and try to live in peace and prosperity and stuff like that, uh, which is pretty much you know if you haven't seen the movie The Land of the Many Mothers, The Land of Many Mothers is kind of like the mascara in Wonder Woman. It's all women you know okay. ruled by women and stuff like that. So um, that's the, that's that's what she's trying to get up to, and it's a really uh, it's a powerful book, I think, when you read it, especially when you read those those sex scenes with Morton Joe, and you just like you feel just terrible. It's kind of like you want to jump into pages and just beat the shit out of them. Yeah, I can I can certainly understand that. Let me ask um, you. Let me ask you this before yeah. we move on to uh, before we move on to this week in Geektainment. With this continuity being kept, yeah, and, and Furiosa throughout the entire Mad Max comics. I mean, I know one person can't write everything unless your name's Cullen Bunn, um, but. <laughs> But I mean, do you? Why don't you think that more series do this? Why don't you think you know you at least keep the same writer to keep that continuity if it's going to be something that's all connected? Because we see spinoffs of series, but you don't typically see the same writer. Why don't more people do this? I think I think because going to my my opening statement, even though it's Furious number one, Mad Max, you know Max number one, and then you have Imperia, Imperia, uh, and Joe and Nux number one. It's still a complete series, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's still... You can read these three books, you know, start, of course, with Morton Joe and go to Furiosa and then Max back to back to back, and you can get one... It's one continuous story, even though they're all labeled as number ones. And the reason why I think, you know, when you see these multiple spinoffs, you know, have the same writers, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, I don't know, you know, why Marvel makes the decisions they do with their comics or DC with their spinoffs and stuff like that and so on and so forth, even with the other indies. Um, so I can't really answer that question. I just think that what it comes down to is when you have, in this case, when you do have somebody like, you know, George Miller, who is providing with the story of this, and then you're right there as your base because you're working with the guy who has, has, you know, is a creator of this world. Yeah. And that's, I think, why. Uh, I think that's why you kind of keep this, you know, and you want to also, as a company, kind of appease to him, make him happier, make you know her happier, whomever. Right. Well, it's, I it's mean, creator of a certain world, and so you want that continuity as a director and as somebody who you know is the creator of this this story. You want that continuity with your writing. It's also who you click with the most as well. Right. And DC did make that decision with the Harley Quinn creative team because they brought that over to Harley Quinn and Power Girl, which was the spinoff of the main run. Now, granted, that's going to be a limited series, but they kind of kept the team together and just added a couple of pieces, at least the writing team. So I think it worked in that instance. It works in this instance. So, again, that's a pull for you. That's right. That's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Again, thank you to Bob or Fantasy Escape for sponsoring this segment every week as he does and everybody else over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards on Aragon Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go check them out. But coming up next, we're going to do some pelvic sorcery as we talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, the animated series, of course, on Disney XD. Episode 1, a 22-minute preview, was released, and we watched it. What do we think about it? Well, stay tuned. This week in Geek Tamit, coming up next on Down and Nerdy. This is David Soboloff, voice of Grodd on The Flash and Drax on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Thanks for sitting down with us this week in Geektainment. Actually, we're going to be talking about one of the most popular franchises over the last year easily. We're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. But Nick, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, the animated series this week. Exactly. And we're talking about the Disney XD animated series. Of course, we had David Soboloff on 
a little while ago, talk about that, a little bit of a teaser for that. <clears throat> and also, you know, we had over the weekend, actually, Disney XD released a preview of episode one. So if you go on the Disney XD website, and it's about 22 minutes, now you figure, and we were kind of figuring this out, pieces together, we're like, wait a minute, it says 22, <laughs> 22 minutes on the site, on the video that we watched for the episode, but it says to be continued at the end. So we wonder... Is there more episode one that they haven't put out yet? Well, I mean, if you if you follow David Sobolov on Facebook, he did say that it was like a preview of the first episode. So it's very interesting, and it seems like the first episode is going to be in multiple parts, which again leads me to believe that Disney XD and Marvel are kind of diving in with both feet on this series. And I mean, how could you blame them, Nick, with the cast? that they ended up pulling off not just David Sobolov, but everybody else. My gosh. Well, I mean, you got Vanessa Marshall as Gamora. You have Kevin Michael Richardson as Groot. Trevor Duvall as Rocket Raccoon. And Will Friedel as Peter Quill. And I got to tell you, man, wow. When we watched this the other night, damn, dude. This just, they really nailed the casting. It really, really is, is, mm-hmm. is a great thing. The only person I think that would have had, I think, the biggest thing to kind of Face shoes to fill, I think, would be Trevor Duvall as Rocket. Yeah, because I think Bradley Cooper did such a good job in the movie. Not that other the other characters didn't as well, because I think everybody fit their part in the in the cinematic version as well. But Rocket was just so perfect in so many ways in yeah. that movie. But I mean, he did a pretty good job. And I gotta say, I think Groot might have been better in the animated series. I'm I'm going there. I'm going there. <laughs> are you anti-Vin Vin Diesel? Is that I, what you're I'm, I'm not. And I know it's hard to compare I Am Groot's. I really do. But come on. And this could be a little bit of a spoiler alert, by the way, for anybody who hasn't seen it. I know it. where you're going with this. Baby Groot talks. Yeah. Okay? Top that. Yeah. Because he didn't say a word in the movie. He just danced around, which is great. But he talks. And when he does that little... Baby, I am Groot thing. It's adorable. Yeah, he's like, I am Groot. So it's like, how do oh, you yeah, not? It's like, oh, yes, you are. I mean, come on, man. How do you beat that? And I got to say that in the past, we've been a little tough on Marvel animation. Yeah. And I think rightfully so. But it's almost like this is their step it up point. I really think that they really took it up a couple notches with this series just from what we've seen so far. Oh, yeah, I mean, the animation style, it's a lot cleaner. It's really, really awesome, actually. Uh, now, for people who are wondering, like, what well, does this follow after the movie? Is it before? Um, we don't know. I don't know because I'm looking at the cast list and, like, you have, like, Nebula's still there. Yeah. Korath is still, you know, he's alive in the series. And, you know, so it's kind of tough to, to tell. Maybe it's going to be a separate entity kind of thing. I would say it's a separate entity. Yeah, they're, they're I think right. that's, yeah, I think that's probably but what they, they're going to go with. But they are, are already a team. That's the thing. They yeah, are and there's and there's jokes about them being in the team and stuff like that and the name of the team and all that. But I got to tell you, it was just fun because the chemistry with this group, there's no drop-off yeah. from the chemistry for this group and the cinematic version group. It, it, it was just amazing. And I, I actually do like that even though it looks like this is going to be a separate entity, I like that they didn't feel like they needed to go back and retell the origin kind of thing. They just well, jumped glad, right into a story, you know what I mean? Well, I'm glad they also didn't do the whole, even if it was kind of like a one-off or some parts of the movie were kind of brought into the show, like, oh, this is what happened in the movie kind of thing. Like, you know, they go back to nowhere in episode one, right. and there's a joke saying, really, we're going back here? Like, we were, it didn't work out so well the last time. So, I mean, you know, but again, 
that's exactly could not should be just because from what happened in the movie. It could be like a total different time we haven't seen yet. Right. Maybe we'll get to further on in the series. But we were watching this, James. We were watching this. And, you know, we had David on. David's a friend of ours. And, you know, we talked to Vanessa as well. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, through Twitter and stuff like that. How cool is it to when we watch this and we looked at you like, you know, if you look at it, if you pause this certain thing, Drax looks like David and Gamora looks a lot like Vanessa. Totally does, which is weird in a way, but cool at the same time. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just, it's very interesting that they, that they did that. And it's also weird for me because you were watching this before I was. Yeah. And I couldn't see it, but I could hear it. And I'm hearing Peter Quill, Star-Lord, and, and I'm hearing Will Friedle, and I'm thinking, I hear Terry McGinnis. <laughs> because he was Terry McGinnis in Batman Beyond. So I, yeah. as somebody who watched that show, I I hear Terry, and I know other people. You, For anybody who watched Batman Beyond, you're going to hear Terry McGinnis, okay? Oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. It was just, it was weird because it doesn't sound exactly the same, but there's enough of it there. Yeah. That made me go, oh, that's and, that's 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 my boy right there. Well, I want to talk about another character who's really, really well, and it's, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite Marvel characters, and that's Yondu. I know. And James Earl Taylor voices Yondu, and when you listen to it, holy shit, does he sound like, uh, like what's his name from the movie? Yeah, he really does sound like him, and it's, and it's odd that they made that work. The fact that they kind of did that... With everything, which is so cool, they they matched it so well. Now the look of Yondu is definitely different. Yeah, in this. Well, for, and of course the guy I'm talking about from the movie is Michael Rooker. Right. So the look of Yondu is a little different. I think everybody else looks pretty much the same. Not really. I think Yondu looks the same as he did in the movie. Really? You don't he think looks, he's a little bit different? I think no. He looks no. It's the same thing. He looks exactly the same. He's got the same style of mohawk and coloration, and teeth, and everything else, and. He looks, I swear to God, he looks like Michael Rooker, I think. Well, I just think that, I don't know if that was done on purpose. I'm sure yeah. that partially it was done on purpose. But seeing this, I mean, I was I was kind of, I was cautiously excited about this when we found out about it. Yeah. At uh, San Diego Comic-Con two years ago. Yeah. But it was Marvel Animation. So I was like, yeah, I've gotten excited about Marvel Animation projects before, and I ended up disappointed. So you had to kind of go into this a little bit lukewarm. But now that I've seen it, I'm good. I- I'm ready. Yeah, so let's dive into – I think I'm up with the character. Let's dive into the actual story of it. So the principal story, like I said, takes place uh, where they're already a team and everything else, and they have to go save – well, from, from what Quill says, they have to go save somebody. But he tell, the thing is, Quill being Quill – doesn't tell him who it is they're saving. No. He tells he tells he tells like Gamora it's a weapons de- or Rocket and Groot like it's a weapons dealer. He tells Gamora it's some sort of like assassin or freedom whatever. fighter or something freedom like fighter, that. Freedom fighter, yeah. And it turns out to be none other than Yandu. And yeah, and, and the story is kind of centered around this mysterious box. Yeah, that we come to find out again. This is gonna there's gonna be a few spoilers because it's already out, and we're hoping that you've already seen it. Um. It's all centers around this box that it seems like only Quill can control. And also, a big mystery we get, too, from this box, we find out what kind of... Because remember in the movie, it says, you know, your father was, like, an alien that kind of thing, so, you know, you're half human, half whatever. We find out what he is. I can't think of the name of it, but we find out he is the key for all this. Yeah. And, and that the same crest that's on the box is actually on his gun as well. Yeah, and I also love the fact that 
there's still that tension in the group, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where they're not sh- he they're not sure what they want to be. Yeah. And like there's some infighting between Gamora and 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 Star Wars, and there's some infighting with Rocket and stuff like that. So I like that they didn't make them, you know, let's go team in this series. That they kept the tension <laughs> that was sometimes present in the movie as well. So I thought they that was very good thing that they did for the story too. Yeah, and I'm really hooked. Like I want like when I talk to be continued, I'm kind of like, no, I want it. It was so good because you know. It, it it really, really, I think we're at an age right now because you have Disney animation, you have Marvel animation that's kind of coming together. You're seeing this thing what it is, and it's creating this beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. again, with Guardians, even though the movie was a huge success, it's still a very big risk. Oh, no doubt about it. Because then you've you, now you've got something to live up to. If the animated series came first. You know, you're not really. There's no basis to live up to other than other Marvel series that have done, like Hulk and Agents of Smash, Ultimate Spider-Man, stuff like that. With yeah. this, you're trying to play off what was a hugely successful movie franchise because of the characters that drove it. So, the fact that they casted this as well as they did is definitely a testament to Marvel Animation. And what I'm hoping is a turning of the corner for more good things to come from them later on. Exactly. Who knows? Maybe they'll introduce Nova as we go on into the yep, that series. Was teased. That you know? was teased. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. already got to see Thanos, so that was yeah. cool. Yep. Thanos sounds, sounds, sounds pretty badass, but I think we both are really thoroughly enjoying this series so far. I can't wait. Again, it comes out the 26th, correct? Yep. September the 26th is when you can catch that, and we're going to have a little bit of something special maybe coming up for you on Guardians of the Galaxy, the animated series. Not going to let the cat out of the bag on that, but what we will do is let the cat out of the bag on a bunch of nerd news that's going to be next on Down and Nerdy. This is comic book artist Annie Wu, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, boys and girls, where James and I go around the interwebs and see what's trending, because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And, well, James is kind of pissed off a little bit. Now, we're all Star Wars fans, of course, and what we're reading, we talked about Star Wars The Force Awakens a little bit with the comic that's leading up to it. And here's the thing. So France and UK, I know it's only a day day or two, but they're getting the movie before it comes to America. Now, the French film website El Cine revealed that Star Wars The Force Awakens will open in French theaters on December 16th, while a new video on Star Wars Facebook page Revealed the December 17th release for audiences in the UK. Of course, that's a couple days before the December 18th US release date. So, James, I give you the floor. What in the hell, Disney and Marvel and Lucasfilms? How dare you (laughs) even suggest that the people in the UK and the people in France... Love our listeners in France. (laughs) Are bigger Star Wars fans than we are here in America. Did we not just have Force Friday, which ripped Star Wars merchandise off the shelves and got us all pissed off because we can't find our Kilo Ren figures anywhere now and we're not paying $100 for them on eBay? What do we have to do to (laughs) prove that we should get this damn movie before anybody else. I know this is not unprecedented. This has been done before movies have been released in in the UK first. I don't care. This is Star Wars. Built in America, damn it. 
And now it's it's not the Mexicans taking our jobs anymore. It's the friggin' British and the French taking our friggin' movies. Bring it back to America, damn it! And that's the platform I'm gonna run on. <laughs> they took their films. Oh my god. They took our Star Wars. <laughs> oh shit. I'm gonna go get a cheeseburger. <laughs> Get some freedom fries while you're at it too. Damn it! <laughs> oh my god! No, I I was. <sighs> I understand Star Wars is a big thing, but you gotta remember too though. UK. I, mean, I have friends in the UK. UK is a day ahead of us, so it's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I five I, hours ahead. I get that. But explain France to me. Um. Uh, I. I don't know. I. I don't have a problem with this, really. Um, it's just frustrating because just, I mean we're still getting it. It's not like we're not. It's not like you know they're doing a whole Microsoft thing where France and UK have like a one-year exclusive deal on Star Wars: The Force Awakens. We got to wait a whole year to see it here in America. But you know what's funny is you know you're gonna find that one jackhole that's gonna cam the movie in France and oh, then yeah. try and and then everybody's gonna try and look for it online and that's gonna be the trending topic. On December the 16th, Star Wars footage leaked on blah, blah, like, blah kind yeah, of thing. It's like, do you really want to watch, like, look at like the French subtitles, read no. French subtitles? No, you don't, but I don't want to read a thousand stories stuff. about how somebody leaked the damn footage from well, France. Well, also, I mean, it's, if they do that, that's going to be stupid as shit because it's Star Wars, so you're going to hear constant cheering and laughter and everything else. Oh, no doubt. Yes, that's what I want to hear in my fucking movie. It's just frustrating because I think we should get this first. It would be different. If, like, the biggest star France has ever seen was, like, the lead in this movie. Yeah. Then I could maybe understand. It's like, okay, this guy is, like, is is the Jennifer Lawrence of France. So we need to <laughs> debut it there first. Otherwise, there's going to be a little bit of a problem. You know, you make a huge, you know, you get the big hoopla. Now, I will say, there are few countries that can cause a stir yeah. like the British. Because when something's popular over there, they lose their shit, okay? Yeah. So I get that if something's popular over there. Harry Potter? Put Harry Potter first over there, okay? I know Harry Potter fans might get mad at me for that, but I, mean, I, I think Potter's to, bigger over there than it is over here. What it comes down to, though, like I said, is a, is a time zone difference. You know what I mean? It's not like, I mean, I understand France is like Australia, they're a day, a full day ahead or whatever, but... You know, my thing is, you know, this is how this is how the Revolutionary War started. Just so you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is the kind of thing that happens. Yes, yeah, so the Paul Revere rider threw on his uh, fucking tauntaun, warning that the cysts are coming. That's right. So I mean, just I'm just saying that is it a is it a big deal? No, it's not a big deal. I just don't understand it. Why can't they wait and we can get it first? Let them be mad, okay? <laughs> Let them be mad, not us. <laughs> I well this. Uh, I and mean, it is a five-hour difference too. It's not like it's, it's not it's like not it's like, twelve or yeah, something. But still, I mean, again, to all of our, I mean, remember, we are uh, behind America. Our biggest following is in France, so and, and, I mean, and, and I love them for it. I love <laughs> them for it. My uh, pastries, love them. French bread, love it. <laughs> Eiffel Tower, love it. Las Vegas one got shit on the real one. That's right. So I mean, if, if I want, if I want ambiance and. And and a little bit, just a little bit of attitude. I'm I'm going to France. Yeah. Well, speaking of release dates, James, moving on. Let's go to television, shall we? And 
Uh, we had our first teaser trailer for Jessica Jones, and of course, it used to be called AKA Jessica Jones, but thank God they dropped the AKA yes, from it. Yes. Um, it was released Thursday morning, and I gotta tell you, Netflix makes some really goddamn beautiful trailers. You know, it's funny because they, they have a way of just capturing you with the first looks of everything yeah. that makes you want to fall all over yourself to see this. Yeah. Because, man, did they do such a great job with this. And we hear it, you know, of course you hear it, you hear a, little, a guy's voice a little bit. It might be, I can't really tell, it might be David Tennant's Purple Man, I'm not yep. sure. Hard to tell. Hard to tell. Uh, but we also, at the end of the trailer, though, we got a release date of when it's going to be, and it's going to be November 20th of this year. Which is so smart, because think about that. You've got Thanksgiving coming up, so a lot of people are going to be taking some time off. you got free time on your hands. You gather the family around after you get hit with the trip to fan, but you won't be able to fall asleep, because you're going to be binge-watching Jessica, Jessica Jones all night. And i I got to tell you, I wasn't... When they first announced this, I was like, eh, Jessica Jones, but... The closer and closer we get to it, I'm getting excited about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, especially because with all the success of Daredevil, it's kind of like, okay, it's in good hands. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, you know, when I watched this, I watched the trailer a couple of times. And, yeah, I mean, it just it's really captivating. And, again, you know, it follows on the whole Netflix thing where they want to have, what, like a new show every six months. They want to have a new something series like that, or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And, again, you kick it off with Daredevil, Jessica Jones. And, you got, of course, it's going to spin off. And what's going to be interesting, too, is I want to see how – they're going to spin off Luke Cage, because, of course, Luke Cage is in the show as well. Mm-hmm. But I want to see how they're going to spin that off. And what's going to be interesting is, of course, it's going to lead to Iron Fist with Luke Cage. So I want to see how that's going to go. But also another show we got as well. It's not on the Netflix platform. However, it's on the AMC network. And it's Preacher, of course. Preacher it doesn't debut until May of 2016. But nope. AMC has already ordered a 10-episode season for the Seth Rogen, Ad Goldberg, and Sam Caitlin-produced show. i gotta be, I got to be honest. This is a little bit of a surprise, and I'm not saying that because I don't think Preacher's a good story. I think it's a great story, but that shows, Nick, that they've got a huge amount of confidence in this project. And you say, oh, well, 10 episodes, that's not much. They're doing the same thing with, they did the same thing with Walking Dead. They've done yep. the same thing with Fear the Walking Dead, stuff like that. This is just what AMC does. So... Nick, as somebody that has been reading Preacher and that's diving into that story, what's the one thing that you're looking most forward to and one thing you think they need to get right right off the bat with this pilot episode? Well, I mean, it all comes down to Jesse Jesse Custer. And, I mean, you know, Dominic Cooper, I think, is going to do really, really great with it. Um, the only thing I worry about, again, you, you hear Seth Ro- Rogen's name and yeah, Adam Goldberg. that was my worry right there. <laughs> that was kind of my worry. But, I mean, we've seen some of the photos of our space and everything else, and it looks pretty, pretty, you know, really, really good um, just from the photos. I mean, again, I can't judge it until – you know, it comes out, but I mean, I'm excited for it. I'm, yeah, I, you know, I mean, as somebody, I mean, I've been, I've been actually waiting to read Preacher myself. We were kind of doing, doing the whole, okay, you finish it, and then I'll read it kind of thing. Well, they have the big book that you can borrow. Yeah, it, but it's going to take a year to get through that thing. That, that's huge. I mean, you want to talk about volume one. It's like Hellblazer volume one. It's like yeah. 600 pages or something. Yeah. So it's like, good luck with that. But I mean, I'm excited for it too, because I think it is a really cool story and it's a really cool concept and Garth Ennis created something really big there. But Nick, speaking of Garth well, Ennis. I want, I want to tell you something though before we dive to our next story. Here's something I was reading about and it's kind of interesting because everybody's talking about Constantine and that's why a lot of people worry because it's got the whole 10 episode first season. 
Lucy Griffiths is going to be Emily on Preacher, right? Right. You know who she was? Who? She was meant to be the female lead in NBC's Constantine, but was written out after the pilot. Oh, that's right. That's right. She was Forgot about that. Set. Forgot about that. Well, maybe a little bit of redemption for her, although what's funny is it's still kind of a DC property. Yeah. <laughs> so, so she still kept it in the family kind of thing? Kind of. But, I mean, I maybe she works better there, though. Exactly. Because, honestly, think about Constantine and the way that went. Yeah. Going forward, does she fit in? I mean, I know it got canceled. Shut up. It was a great show. Do you think she would have fit in going forward? Because I, I can't don't see it. Uh, really quickly, I mean, I think they did what they needed to. They, You know, she, I think, they realized, you know, she, no, she's not really part of canon, I believe. So it's like, yeah. we want, and, they, and they, I mean, they're placed with Zed. You know I mean? You can't. Right. It's exactly. hard to... To, to, you know, say, oh, she should have stayed in it because, I mean, shit, Zed was awesome. Yeah, and it, it just didn't it, – I mean, it worked for that one episode, but as, as a long-term story, I don't, I don't think it would have worked any better. Exactly. But speaking of Garth Ennis, James, before I cut you off, go ahead. Yeah, well, speaking of Garth Ennis, we, he's got a little bit of something going on with a brand-new publisher – that's going to be coming out aftershock. We talked about them when they announced everything in mid-April, and he's going to be a big part of their first launch, Nick. Exactly. So, as James just said, so aftershock is pretty much is an indie comics, but it's got a lot of veterans in it and a lot of you know DC Marvel guys and stuff like that. Uh, pretty much left, and they said to start our own business, start our own publishing company, and stuff like that. So they launched in April. Since then, they've been really quiet about who you know they've announced talent but they never really said yeah. what they're doing weirdly when quiet. that's coming out weirdly quiet so on wednesday they actually broke their silence they announced the first wave of projects and release and their releases on their schedule uh the publishers first lay of comics they actually composed of four titles that will kick off throughout december Seems to be a pretty pretty busy month for yeah nerds. you got vertigo going with their big push in december and now aftershock and exactly. some of these t- i mean we don't really get a whole lot other than the titles i'll let you go ahead and rattle them off and uh tell us who the creative teams are as well all right well sorry well, since you mentioned ennis we'll start off with him uh dreaming eagles gonna be debuting december 30th from ennis and simon uh, colby let's go backwards so let's go from the end of the month to the beginning of the month so i'm not confusing anybody uh then Moving a week or so earlier, you have Super Zero, which is debuting December 16th uh, from writers Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmati and artist Rafael De Del Torre. Then you have, on December 9th, you have writer Marjorie Bennett and artist Aurelia uh, Christiantina, uh, which is called Insext. Insects? Insects, yeah, I think that's that, that's it, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a weird spelling. When you see it, you'll know it's, what we're talking about. It's I-N-S-E-X-T-X. Uh, and then, of course, kicking off December, you have December 1st, Paul Jenkins and Andy Clark are presenting Replica. And it's hard for us to kind of say, no, this is normally the time in this where we would say, well, which one are you looking most forward to? We don't know! We're don't know! know. <laughs> because at best, we got, what, one cover image in the press release? So I mean, I think, yeah, in the press release when we, that we got sent to us, uh, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was... I mean, here's the deal. Obviously, we have our favorite writers, and there's some that jump out at us here. That yeah. Obviously, we're looking forward to the work that they do. But here's my question to you, Nick. Let's take this perspective. <clears throat> okay. Do you think that all this cloak and dagger, all this smoke and mirror stuff that Aftershock's been doing, is it working to build in- anticipation, or are we starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, what the hell are you doing now because this is starting to get annoying? The only thing with Aftershock that's going to play kind of dangerous is this. Is even though you have, like, Garth Ennis, you have all this great talent, 
Um, sometimes when, even when I post Aftershock, and this is not really a shot against them at all, but uh, when I post stories about Aftershock or you do, I kind of forget that they're around. Right, that's the problem. I had forgotten that they were... I didn't even know when they were launching. Yeah. None of this stuff. I, I, you kind of forgot they existed. And at San Diego Comic-Con, it was the same thing. You kind of expected them to jump out and make a big, big presentation. They just didn't. And I think that they could have stood out there if they decided to do that. Now, the, the, the point that you make, I think, is the point that I, I feel as well. Just because you have all of this talent... And, I mean, you're even... I mean, it's even being launched by veteran editors from Marvel and DC Comics and stuff yep. like that. Just because you bring all this talent on board doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work. You know what well, I mean? Well, it's like I said, people, you know, and again, people were not saying, you know, we're not excited for it. So, I mean, we're going to pick up. Oh, obviously you know, we're excited. Yeah. These, these comics. I mean, I think, you know, of course, I, you know, you know, we don't know what the comics are about. I mean, how can you not be looking forward to Replica on December 1st? Cause that's their launch title. You know what I'm saying? Right. Not only that, but, I mean, think about it. This is creator-owned stuff. And right. it looks like they want to put that emphasis on creator-owned stuff. Now, who else did that a lot? Image did that. Look what, look where they're at now. So I think Aftershock's trying to take the best of what everybody's done to be successful and launch their own company. And is the talent Party. there? Absolutely. Party wonders this talent that they got. I wonder. I mean, we don't know the deals or the contracts of the talent. But when you get this this many big names and talent, part of me wonders, did any of them, or at least maybe all, if not most, get a certain percentage of the company? That could be. That Sometimes that's one of those deals that happens where you say, okay, I'll come on over this, but I want a little bit of a piece of the pie. And I mean, they've got other names that they haven't even announced books for yet, like John Lehman. You remember him from, I think, Batman Eternal. We've got yep. Ray Fox as well, and a few others. So it's not like they're stopping there. They've got some more names that are going to be coming through. I just want to see... I think that I'm just... At this at this point, I'm just ready for the for that first issue to come out. Yeah. So we can stop with all of the, well, we're going to give you this little bit, and then this little bit, and then this little bit. It's like, just freaking tell us what's going on. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And our final story this week, James, we, we both like theme parks, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, well, of course, we're big, you know, friends with Cody, and he's, you know. He's Mr. Theme Park. He's Mr. Theme Park. <laughs> he's really Mr. Theme Park. By the way, go over to the site, BG Cabana, if you're a big Bush Gardens and SeaWorld fan. They got a lot of great info on mm -hmm. that site for you. Definitely. Um, but so anyways, Ubisoft announced on Monday that they're developing a theme park. Now, this is, of course, headed up by Ubisoft Motion Pictures. I didn't even know they had a motion picture Neither company. did I, I'll be honest. I was surprised by that, too. And uh, RSG, their goal is actually to bring together brands like Assassin's Creed, Just Dance, uh, Rabbids, and more to design a highly interactive gaming experience that will include innovative rides, attractions, and shows. Can you imagine? I, I just want this. Splinter Cell Laser Tag. Yeah, that, I mean, that's that's done. I mean, it's a done deal. It has to happen. What I think is interesting yeah. was the location they chose. Kuala oh, yeah. Lumpur, Malaysia. So I'm sure there's going to be a mosquito swat station at some point because, it's wow. Just, they're going to have, like, instead of misting stations, like at, at Bush Gardens and stuff like that, they're going to have, like, you know, D and off stations. You stand exactly, on yes. you with, like, bug spray. And it's going to be hot, like... All the time. Yeah. You're not going to need misting now, stations. You're going to need a friggin' waterfall. Now you to wonder go to this why. Place. Now you wonder why Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Well, again, the plan for the park is to be over 10,000 square meters. And the thing is, is that Kuala Lumpur 
is the second most visited country in Asia. I mean, it's a great tourist destination. Yeah. If you if you actually look it up, I mean, we're all kidding aside, you look it up, it's a gorgeous place, no doubt about it. But it is very interesting, though, because what what we sometimes as Americans don't consider is that that's, you know, that's that's close to the Asian country. That's considered an Asian country, I think. Yeah, well, and I think... The re- that's, gaming is big in that area. Yeah, and I think the reason what people are probably, you know, especially our listeners in America... They'll say, well, why aren't they doing it here? Well, it's tough to do it here because, again, you have Busch Gardens, you have Disneyland, you have Disney World, you have Universal. Six Flags, C- King's Dominion. Six Flags, King Dominion, Cedars Point. There's a lot, you know. I mean, if you want to go to Allentown, Dorney Park, you know, and Hershey Park and stuff like that, there's a lot here. You know what I'm saying? Like Universal Studios. I mean, you look at that oh, and yeah. you say, why would I go to Ubisoft land when I can go to Universal Studios kind of thing? And, and here's the other thing that I wanted to ask you about. Uh don't you think, I mean, anywhere you go, isn't opening a theme park one of the most risky businesses oh, in entertainment? Yeah. Oh, God, This yeah. is a huge risk to me. Exactly. I mean, it's not supposed to open until 2020. But again, though, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a risky, risky move. I mean, I'm, <sighs> I mean, could it work? Sure. Is well, there, there going to be something fun? Is, sure. Again, you want it to be 10,000 square feet, but again... You only have so many properties, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I know by 2020 they're going to build a little bit more up, I'm sure. But again, you're only giving yourself a few years to build up properties to the point of somebody caring that it's at a theme park. Right. I mean, the Tom Clancy thing that you brought up, I think that's a fantastic idea. And that would be one of the first things they do. And then... Maybe they're going to have like a Assassin's Creed free fall type ride or something. It'll be a what bungee be, jumping type deal. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. What would be cool too, though, too, as well as, I mean, this is a smart move by them if they do this. But can you imagine if you go there, right? Go Ubisoft Lane, whatever the fuck they want to call it. Um, and you're just walking in the crowd, right? You're just a crowd of people. And you see somebody dressed like in old school times kind of thing. And all of a sudden, there's an, you just see somebody dressed as an assassin. And they stab that person. That person's just lying on the ground. Or could you imagine, I mean, can you get pissed off if you get pickpocketed at this place? Yeah. I mean, because that's part of Assassin's Creed is pickpocketing people. Yeah. So, I mean, is that going to be part of the experience, too? He took my wallet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> it's all part of the experience. I don't know if that's going to be a thing, but, I mean, it, so it's so it's doable. So he pickpockets you, and all of a sudden you just hear, like, on the, on the station, like, on the overhead uh, um, speakers of that. Oh, uh, James Whitham, please come to Lost and Found. Your wallet is uh, it's here. If you're looking for your wallet, James Whitham, please come to Lost and Found. <laughs> oh, God. And then you got to take the Rainbow Six team with you to the Lost and Found and do yeah. a little covert operation there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, exactly. a, there's a lot of there. There are a lot of things that they can do. And I know that they've I'm, I know they've got a plan in place. It's just going to be very interesting to see how long this lasts. I don't yeah. want to be cynical, but. Theme parks are really risky, and I know it's a very popular area in Asia, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to do it for Nerd News this week. But, of course, come up next to our big surprise for you. It's our interview. We actually sat down with Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lennox of Plutona from Image Comics, and that's our big surprise reveal for you guys. Of course, if you're somebody who just clicked on the show and saw that the interview is with who, it's not much yeah, of a surprise anymore. But Not really. <laughs> whatever. So anyways, our interview with Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lennox come up next. Stick around. More Down Nerdy coming up next. Hi, this is Bob Lee, Fantasy Escape Comics Card, Virginia Beach, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
We got another great interview for you this week on the Down and Nerdy podcast, and there's a lot of great superhero stories out there, but this one, definitely a little, a little bit different, and we love it. It's Plutona from Image Comics. We have the creators with us here this week, Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lennox. How are you guys doing this week? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Emmy? <laughs> I'm good. Just busy, you know, the life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely because, I mean, what are you, you know, What are you so busy with, Emmy? Oh, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> <laughs> Emmy's probably really, really busy just celebrating because, you know, Plutona came out. And it's just been nothing but short of success. I mean, when it came out, it's one of the probably the best series, I think, that we both read in a while. Um, and, Emmy, you actually, uh, last Wednesday, you celebrated by tweeting. You were running around screaming because it was, quote, Plutona Day. So what was it about the release of Plutona that made you that made it so special for you? And, Jeff, you can chime in as well. I don't know. It could be the only time my Twitter blew up since the announcement <laughs> at Image Expo. So I'm not used. I wasn't used to all my me- uh, social media blowing up, and everyone seemed pretty uh, had a very good positive reaction. So that felt really good. So yeah, I mean that was pretty exciting for me. It's also your first monthly comic, so it's a, it's a yeah pretty big big landmark, you know. Yeah, I think that's kind yeah. of a big deal, right? <laughs> oh yeah. So actually, at yeah. a time at a time when superhero stories are kind of at an all time high right now, pretty much everywhere, why was it important to tell a story like this with such a different perspective? Well, I think it's because superhero comic or stories, you know, films and comics and everything are are still right now. You know, it's been the last couple of years; it's just been a bombardment of superhero stuff on television and, and, uh, you know, on film and everything else. And, um, more than, more than maybe ever before, I think it, it's a perfect time to have a superhero story. That's something completely different and, and explores that genre from a totally different point of view. And, um, in, in many ways is almost the counterpoint to all these big superhero blockbuster things going on, you know, both in comics and otherwise where, you know, they just the films and, and comics they just get bigger and bigger and they just keep adding more and more heroes. You know, the events get bigger and bigger <clears throat> every year and um whereas Plutona takes superhero and puts it at a distance and instead explores the world from a very grounded point of view and through through just these five kids and the superhero aspects are all you know, just through their experiences and what they see from afar and it's uh in many ways I think the perfect sort of, like I said, counterpoint to a lot of these big superheroes things that are going on. It's a completely different way of looking at, at superheroes. And, um, yeah, so I think it's pretty timely. So Jeff, I want to talk about, so you just mentioned the five kids there in, in the book and, you know, the kids in the book share a common bond, which is all their parents are very, you know, absentee due to their jobs and other things going around in their lives. So as the series progresses, how big of a role will that bond play that kind of brings them all together? And could we see a possible rift come between a group because of that bond? Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I don't think, I mean, I actually ever really talked about that, uh, that all their parents would kind of be these absentee or really busy parents. I think it just sort of happened when I was writing the script, you know. And, um, mm-hmm. and you're right, it is something that they all have in common, as different as they all are. They all have varying degrees of uh, their home lives, are really different, but there's they're sort of this common bond that they all have, you know, where they're kind of on their own and, and they kind of find each other through circumstance. And um, so, yeah, I don't know that it's going to bring them together any more than it already has. Um, I think it was one of the instigating things that maybe makes this group kind of click the way it does. 
So, Emmy, your art actually got to set the tone for the book in the first couple of pages, which is very cool. So how does it feel to be able to do that and set the tone for the first issue of this series? And, Jeff, how important is it to work with an artist that actually has the ability to do that with you? I give the worst answers, by the way, because they're not descriptive at all. Uh, <laughs> how, it, like, how it felt to do it was that I had to do it, and then I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at interviews. Sometimes. You know what, though? <laughs> like, it, I, sometimes I, it's just I that simple. That's what it needed, so you do it, and then I felt like, oh, I did it. <laughs> that's the best answer I've ever heard. I love it. That is the best anymore. I mean, that's the best answer I think we've ever had. Really, that's, that's just awesome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just working with. I guess your other part of your question is kind of what's it like to work with an artist like Emmy? And I don't know that this is a really unique project, and that it just kind of came out of our friendship. Um, it was an idea that Emmy had originally, like the, the idea of these kids finding a superhero, a dead superhero in the woods. That was her idea. And when she told it to me, you know, I mean, how could you not love that idea? It's such a, an amazing <laughs> setup for a story. And we just started talking about it and, and coming up with these characters and sort of what would happen. And the book just kind of wrote itself over, you know, us sitting down for coffee and just sort of riffing off this idea. And um, so, I never really feel a separation all that much between, you know, she's the artist and I'm the writer. It's really pretty, uh, a pretty organic process. Oh, definitely. Sort of oh, yeah. Just working on it together. And, and, you know, and then when it comes down to doing the actual work, yeah, she draws it and I, I read the scripts, but I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we're not really, not that separated the way it might be. And like, you know, when you're working at Marvel or DC and everyone has their role, you know, <clears throat> Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, you have the, the old roles, and so people, you know, you're signing to this, you're signing to that. And Emmy, you know, is piggybacking on what James said about the whole with, with with your art and everything. When you're doing art on a book or a series, what's your thought process like in terms of how you would like a series to look and feel with the panels and everything? And uh, what was it like working with someone like Jordi Belair, who's vibrant yet solid colors, actually grab you as both a reader and an artist? I'm anxiously awaiting this answer. <laughs> 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 the answer would be like, oh, I saw the colors. I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it was jarring at first because I'm not used to having my art colored by anybody. But mm-hmm. mostly, it to me, it was hard because I saw a lot of my flaws once it was colored. <laughs> <laughs> but the longer I looked at it, the, the like the more I liked it. So yeah, I remember. She's, having she's awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, first of all, but yeah, I, I remember when I did Sweet Tooth. That was the first color thing that I, of my art that I'd ever seen. And when when Jose sent me the colors for the first issue, it was really jarring because I'd ne- I'd spent my whole life looking at my drawings, but only mm-hmm. black and white, you know. And to see that extra layer on top of them is really weird. It takes it takes a little time to get some distance from it and then actually see, see it. But yeah, I think that, uh, Jordy and Emmy are a really good combination. I mean, the art looks fantastic. Yeah. I I even said when, uh, we were, when we reviewed this book that it was just shocking to see how great Emmy's art was. And Emmy, were there any characters in this book that you kind of intentionally or unintentionally ended up modeling after yourself? This is a this is a pointed question, isn't it? 
<laughs> you suspect it's me, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of characters, so that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. Do you, did you kind of model anybody after yourself a little bit or your personality? I think each character has a bit, a little bit of yourself in it. I, I would imagine that Jeff would agree as a writer because you draw a lot from yourself. I mean, yeah. the general family of like Mia and her brother is kind of roughly like my my family. My mom was very excited about it because it's like a half Japanese Asian family with their rice cooker and all that. Did I answer the question? No, I think I think you I think you kind of did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, I got another one. <laughs> oh man, this is great. So, Jeff, as a writer, what's the one most important thing you want your readers to walk away with? Not only when they've read Plutona, but your other work as well. Oh, geez, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't, I just want to tell good stories and, and do good work, you know. It doesn't really go beyond that. I'm mostly trying to please myself, and I'm I'm generally the worst critic of my own work, so I'm just always trying to do something that doesn't suck, you know. But in terms specifically <laughs> of Plutona, I think we just, I just, the big goal is just to have these kids seem like real kids and not seem like cliches or not seem like, I don't know, character types, you know? Um, oh, oh definitely. And actually, yeah. kind of, they kind of feel real, and I think a lot of that is just not overwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my big pet peeve in any media, especially television, I find, is that now, <clears throat> you know, pretty much any television show that you watch now is so overwritten. Like, every, every single character has, like, this incredibly witty banter back and forth, and it's like, you know, nobody in real life actually talks like that. You know, you have six writers <laughs> writing all these lines for these characters, you know. And, oh, yeah. Uh, in real life, people don't actually say all that much most of the time, or if they right. do, they're never really saying what they actually mean or what they actually feel, you know. They're, and to actually try to capture that more, more than just trying to write witty, funny dialogue, you know, is, is much more my goal with those kids. Because I think, especially when you're young, you know, you're still kind of figuring out who you are and your personality. And these kids are all kind of in mm-hmm. that stage. They're, they're not quite teenagers yet, you know. There's like that awkward where you don't know what kind of person you're going to be or who you want to be like. And you're emulating different people. And I mean, they're pretty uncertain about themselves. They're not so sure of themselves. And not everyone, you know, is going to... I guess just in terms of dialogue, it's it's just restraint, you know, holding back and not not overwriting them, uh, and just kind of letting them be a little more natural. There's a lot of pauses and silences and stuff in real life, and I think we're trying to do that a bit with Plutona, where you just have some silent moments and panels and scenes, and it's just a bit more realistic to me, you know, and I like that pacing as well. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like, you know, I mean, I used to, I took, I have a degree in film, Jeff, and I had to write some scripts as well. And it is true. It's about keeping things simple. And it's also like, you know, some of the great things you have is, is the whole scenes where, you know, me is, is borrowing the jacket and not giving it back. And it's those little types of small interactions that just kind of drive home the the, the, the story, really. Yeah. And like those little scenes, like the jacket thing, that. This has nothing to do with the plot, you know. It doesn't mm-hmm. advance the plot. It's not. It's just like a little thing between two people, you know. And just trying to keep that stuff in there and focus on that kind of thing, rather than we found a superhero. What's the mystery, you know? And then every movement afterwards, trying to unlock the mystery of the superhero. And it's more just like these kids, the way they would really react in this. Situation. Oh, definitely. Everything yeah. character-driven as opposed to plot-driven, which is you know. I mean, I, I'm as guilty of it as anyone because I write for Marvel now and doing the X-Men and stuff, and everything is so plot-driven. It's really hard to keep 
keep focus on the characters. I mean, I try to, but um, especially that's why I think something like Luton is such a had such a reaction and a reception because it does it is just a really good character piece and the superhero stuff is like you know background and it's there and it's cool but it's not really what it's about you know. Right. Well, one of the things I've actually always enjoyed about your writing on a lot of the series that you do is the importance that you point on making the readers care about the characters that you want them to care about at the time, especially with stuff like the the ending of this book when the when the kids actually, like you said, stumble upon now Plutona's body. How hard is it to write intense things like that and actually want to make the reader feel what you want them to feel at that particular moment? Well, I mean, it's not really about. It's not. You make it. I know you don't mean to, but I'm not. Not not uh, criticizing you, but you make it seem like it's a manipulative thing where I'm I'm like trying to make the reader feel. Oh no, no, that, or, that's, know, that's, it, that's no, not I what I was going for. It, yeah, of course not. No, I'm just saying it's not that. You know, it's much more just being honest and trying to make them real people. You know, and I think the, actually the the thing at the end there with the, the the little strip that I do, the Futona's last adventure. You know, that was that kind of was last minute. That was never part of the series until maybe a month ago or something. Right, I mean, it was I don't. We'd never even talked about that, um, and I kind of we just kind of decided to add it a little while ago, and just to sh- just to make sure that Plutona herself um, was someone the reader could engage with and read, because obviously in the in the main story she's dead, so, you know you're yeah. not going to get any of her, yeah. you're not going to get any sense of the person, right? So, so it was just a matter of just trying to find some relationship to lock into and the one with her daughter, you know, it just, it humanizes her and then it, it gives stakes to the whole thing that the kids don't know anything about, but the reader does. So yeah, it's just, you know, like you said, you're just trying to make the reader care about them and the best way to do it is to give them some emotional stake. Yeah. So this question is for the both of you. So in comics like Plutona, we see superheroes, they hold jobs outside of saving the world or a city uh, if you were a superhero, which one of your past jobs, was before you two got into comics, would you have as your alter ego's occupation? You get the answer first, Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's code. Understand. That's code for I need more time to think about it. <laughs> like, is it, is it supposed to like speak about my personality? Like, oh, just, just, if you, or? No, just if you had had a superhero. I mean, I would just choose the most fun job in general, which is bartending. <laughs> there you go. That works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, don't know. <laughs> I only had two jobs before comics. I worked in an automotive factory when I was a teenager in the summer, and I, when I graduated school, before I started making a living comics, I was a cook for like ten or twelve years. So I would probably be a cook, you know. Well, there you oh, go. You can cook. I, you can cook the food, and, yeah. and Emmy can run the bar. Yeah. It's right. It's not so far from Plutona. You know, she works in a restaurant too. So <laughs> there you go. That's right. Exactly. So I, I mean, I wonder how, how many. I mean, this being the celebrities or the superheroes in this book, I wonder if if a super, if superheroes were real in our society, who do you think would have the most followers on social media? <laughs> of the characters in our book, or of any superhero? Of of any. Oh God! Don't you think? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I know enough about superheroes to. Other than like Batman and Superman, <laughs> I think Batman would be yeah. a good answer. Actually, <laughs> Batman would not. Be I think that in itself would tell you a good idea that someone who doesn't know superheroes that well, but those are the two that I everyone knows. So I would think they would have the highest count. Yeah, I think Tony Stark would be a a media whore. 
he would be all over Twitter. <laughs> there you go. That's no Definitely. question about it. Definitely. Well, speaking of social media, of course, talking to Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lanks of Plutonium from Image. Where can folks find you guys on social media? I'm at Emmybot, like if I was a robot. <laughs> Are you? Am I? I think he's legitimately asking if you're I, a robot. I think he's legitimately asking Are you a robot? I mean, Jeff has experience in that area. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm at Jeff Willemere at Twitter.com. <laughs> Well, we hope that all your fans will will go follow you on social media. If they haven't already, and of course, we want you to go out and get Plutona number one, which is in stores and available digitally now. Issue number two will be out on October the 7th. Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lennox, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So, James, remind me whenever we're walking around the Tidewater area here in Virginia Beach, uh, remind us that whenever we're walking together and we see a superhero, we don't poke it with a stick. Yeah, not going to do that. And if there's flies in the area, I'm not even going anywhere near it. Just not no. happening. Nope, no, not at all. Yep, and we thank Jeff Lemire and Emmy Lanx for coming out. Again, Plutonium number 1 is in stores now. It's also available digitally. Issue 2 is available on October 7th. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Down and Nerdy. Don't forget, you can always follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We also have our Down and Nerdy store. Just click the button that says Shop on our Facebook page. You're right there. And, hey, we're also on Twitter as well at downnerdy757. Join the over 2,500 people that are following us on Twitter and getting our daily updates on everything superheroes and movies and television and all that favorite nerd stuff. Uh, also, I'm at Merkel with one arm, James. I'm at James Ace Witham. Don't forget, we're always online at downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find out what's going on with this week's shows. You can always listen live on there. We've got comics that we review on the website and on the website only. And of course, we always want you to stop by Bob's at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach. You can get your issue of Pluto- get your issues of Plutona there, the pop figures that he has, all kinds of great stuff. You go see Bob at Aragona Boulevard, Virginia Beach at Fantasy Escape. Exactly. And again, that's going to do us for, do it for us this week. But we'll see you next week, nerds. And I leave you with these words I always do at the end of every podcast. Pray safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics.